Well, with all that attention on me, I want to turn it back to you and say thank you. I mean, think about this month. It's been absolutely remarkable. Care, we started off December with a Christmas tea here. It was the first Saturday of the month. And we had nearly a thousand women enjoying that tea. Can we just give thanks looking back? And a record number of butlers and the facilities team behind the scenes. And as we got into the month of December, not only the things that happened on Sundays, but also during the week, and we got to the Christmas concert. And Dan, you look refreshed today, and the choir looks refreshed today. So we want to thank you, you know, because that night we took a special offering, and that night we gave uh, $60,000 towards alleviating the experience of homelessness in our city through our partners of Habitat for Humanity and a number of other partners that we have. And uh, somebody in our church family and others actually gave directly to those uh, partners as well. And so nearly $100,000 was given uh, to alleviate homelessness in the midst of this amazing season. It was absolutely remarkable. You know, and, and so many things going on as we march through the month. Yesterday, uh, how many of you were here, show of hands, for the amazing event on campus where we partnered with Foster All and threw a Christmas party for kids in the foster care system? Absolutely remarkable. And can we just give thanks for those? It was an amazing experience. You know, we want to open up our campus. We want to be a campus that is a blessing for the city. And we know that God has entrusted us with this remarkable campus, and it's not just for us, it's for this city. And if you are a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member, uh, and you've been invited today and it's your first time, uh, our casa is su casa, so make yourself at home. And we've got a great campus, we're going to have a brunch right after the service, and we'd love for you to stick around and to enjoy that as well. Now also, I want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving. I'm going to show you a slide. In fact, you look at this, uh, just in the month of December, uh, we budget and we prepare for, and this is how God fuels the ministry on this campus and the city and around the globe. And this is true for really almost every church in North America that the majority of the giving comes in in the last month. And right now, month to date, we are 30% towards the goal. And here's what's fascinating. Last year, we were roughly at the same place. We're just $10,000 behind where we were this time last year because we know that the nature and the character and the makeup of our church, uh, giving ramps up exponentially in the last couple weeks and even days towards the end of the year. So just in advance, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. We've got a goal that I believe that through God's blessing we will hit, and it's going to take all of us as a church family to lean in together. And there's many ways in which you can give, not just in our offering today, but also online and stocks. And all the information is in your bulletin, but just simply in advance, I want to thank you for your faithfulness because this is how we fund the ministry that God does in and through this church, life-transforming ministry, not just through our staff and through our lay leaders, but also with our partners in this city and around the globe. Hey, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up right now? We're going to go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 42. And boy, what a timely message this is to talk about Martha and Mary. And it's on page 845 in your pew Bible. If you have a red book in front of you, if you're new or if you're in the front row, uh, there's a red book in the cubby right behind your leg. That's our pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, would you take that home with you? We'd rather it be in your life and open and speaking truth and love and power in your life than it's sitting in the pews all week. And if you're joining us online, every week I read from the New Revised Standard Version. And this is on one hand... A very mundane scene, a very commonplace scene, and yet the power 
And the relevance today is absolutely miraculous. So let me read Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so let's leave these Bibles open because right now, on this day, we're in the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're in a sermon series in the month of December. If you've missed any of them, you can go on our website or on iTunes. You can download those, listen or watch them. But we're in a, a sermon series called Arrivals and Departures, knowing that at this time in our culture, more people arrive and depart from airports around the world more than any other time of the year. And how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you are going to depart pretty soon somewhere else, whether by car, blade? Boat, plane, okay. Now, how many of you uh, have uh, received somebody? They've arrived right now in the season. Yes, it's, it's the season of coming and going. And again, the guests who are here today, thank you for being here, choosing to be with us on this Sunday. Uh, and what we have today in this moment, again, as I said, is in the middle of a series where we're taking a look at how we can invite Jesus into our life, and not just invite Jesus, but to invite all people into this community. And in the second week, we talked about how if we invite Jesus and all people to experience a home with us, then, then we should be preparing for Christ to come and preparing for others to come as well. Well, last week, in the third week, we talked about what it looks like for us to welcome Jesus, to, to truly receive Jesus into our lives, but also what does it look like to receive others into our community, into our homes, into our, into our very life? Well, now, in this fourth week, we're talking about abiding, to be present, for your mind to be in the same room as your feet, with Jesus and with others. And we're going to see here that it's a commonplace scene, it's a, it's a normal everyday scene, it's a scene that gets played out uh, in our lives many, many times, and it's a reminder that it's not just the big miraculous moments in our life that define us. You see, on one hand, you've got Scripture passages about Lazarus being raised from the dead, miraculous, and then you've got a household scene with a meal. In our lives, it's tempting to think that God only moves in the big miraculous moments and miss the actual fact that God is desiring to shape our character and our very soul in the everydayness, in the humdrum mundaneness of life. So in this, we're going to take a Mary perspective at this passage quickly understand what that means in a bit, but we're going to take a look at the difference between Martha and Mary, and you're going to see perhaps that 
like I do, I see a little bit of Martha in myself, and I see a little bit of Mary in myself, and Jesus very clearly says, ah, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. So, if you're taking notes, again, we're going to take a look at Martha and Mary, and I'm going to talk about three things about Martha and three things about Mary, and hopefully that prepares us to enjoy our brunch today in a very different way. So, first thing about Martha. Number one, she's a leader, if you're taking notes. Number two, she's loved greatly. And number three, she's extremely busy. <laughs> Let's take a look at why she's a leader. Now, take a look. I open those Bibles back up. Uh, verse 38. What's fascinating is it says, now as they, plural, went on their way, he, singular, entered a certain village. So you've got the disciples, a group of people who are on their way, they're traveling through this area, and yet Jesus very clearly removes himself from that group. And Jesus alone, not with the disciples. You see, Luke is the most detailed of all the gospel writers. He's a physician by trade. So he's not mistaking the detail of this moment that Jesus removes himself from the caravan of disciples and enters a certain village, my favorite village, perhaps God's favorite place on earth, Bethany. We talked about this last week. And it says, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, you can piece together Scripture and see that this home is the home of Simon the leper and the daughters Martha and Mary. And it's fascinating that this text right here doesn't say that it's Simon's home, which would be very normal in a first century context to say that it is the man's home, the father's home, the patriarch's home. And what I love about this, as Luke records this, is the fact that this is Martha's home. She's the head of this household. She takes care of the finances. She puts things in order. She runs the house. And it's this great little picture that we can't overlook that in the first century, there's this image that God wants us to have that women are valued, they're treasured, and they're leaders. And Martha, very clearly here, is the leader of this household. She's preparing everything. She's doing all these things, and those are good things. She's also, second, loved greatly. Now, take a look a little farther along in verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, please don't interpret that as Martha, Martha, because <laughs> you've got to understand that in the first century, especially in the Greek language, whenever you double two words, it magnifies something. In fact, this is also true in the Hebrew language. Uh, there's a moment in Genesis chapter 14, it records a group of kings who were traveling through an area, and in the English translation, it says they fell into a great pit. But in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, it doesn't say that. It actually says they fell into a pit, pit. Literally, it says the same word twice. Because back then, if you wanted to talk about something great or grand or massive, you would say it twice. They didn't just fall into a pit, they fell into a pit pit. Maybe work that into your Christmas conversations. Uh, that's a fruitcake, fruitcake, wow, I mean, this is, 
In fact, there's another moment where Jesus uh, looks out, a little later in Luke, where He looks out over Jerusalem, and He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and He weeps out of love for this city and its people. You see, in this moment, Martha is loved greatly, even though she's aiming for the wrong thing. And you've got to understand that Martha and Mary both believe in Jesus, both love Jesus. You could say it this way, they're both Christians. And many in this room and many online and many who listen to this after the fact are people who believe in Jesus, who love Jesus, who would be described as Christians, as followers of Christ. And yet there's moments, even as believers, even as leaders, even as followers of Jesus, even as senior pastors, we can get focused on the wrong thing. And in the midst of that, we've got to know, and you've got to know that God still loves you greatly. And the way that He will approach you to, to redirect you, to, to shape your heart and bring you back to how He wants you to live is from a place of love. Not a place of anger or hate or judgment. And I don't know your background. I don't know how you were raised, but I've met quite a few who were raised to think that if you ever miss the mark, God's going to come down with an angry, furrowed brow and going to spank you back into alignment. And the amount of counseling that I've had to do and pastors we've had to do is Sadly, to try to undo this non-biblical view of God, it's, it's God's mercy, it's His love that leads us to repentance. To repent means you, you look at the way you're going, you realize that it's wrong, and you literally, you confess that, and you turn, and you go the way that God longs for you to go, but it's, but it's out of a place of love. It's amazing to know that even though Martha is off the mark, which we'll get to in a moment, why she was off the mark, why she was doing the, the lesser thing that Mary was doing the greater part of, Jesus responds to her out of love, and you've got to know that, and this might be the only time that you're in a church for the entire year, for the entire decade, you've got to know that God leads with love. He leads with love. He wants to, he wants you to know that on this day. That of great love, he sent his son to die for you while we had our backs to him, Romans says. But take a look in the third way, and let's, the more details that we'll go into. Martha was extremely busy. Now, take a look. Uh, in verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Now, it's fascinating. Again, Luke is so detailed. Uh, it's clear to say that those are her many tasks. These are not things that Jesus asked her to do. You see, there's other meals that Jesus goes to where He gives clear instruction about how to prepare it. You think about the moment. In fact, uh, the last supper, the last meal that Jesus enjoyed with His disciples, He very clearly gave preparations for it. And yet, Martha here in this moment is, is busy with so many things that she is defined as value. And then it goes on. Take a look. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. So in this moment, 
As Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. I want you to first circle the word worried. Now, different translations have different words, but literally the Greek, again, the language of the New Testament, gives a picture of your inner life, your inner being, your mind, your spirit, literally being torn in part in opposite directions. How many of you feel like that right now in this Christmas season, two days away before Christmas? Not everybody does, but some people do. We get so extremely busy that it feels like we're being pulled in all these different directions. But not only that, it says that she was distracted by many things. Different translations use different words, but in the Greek language, it literally gives a picture of a boat that has been capsized, and it is flowing down the current of a river, unable to control its own direction. Now, I'm in a couple small group, and I see some of them right here, and I shared a prayer request about a month ago, and I literally, my prayer request, before I prepared for this, uh, I said, you know, I, I feel like there's moments in my life and in leadership with so much going on at Bel Air, I feel like I'm literally trying to lead a, a, a river rafting, you know, expedition down a class five rapids, and I literally, all I'm doing is just responding to all the things that are coming at me. And I feel overwhelmed. And I was like on the verge of tears in that couples group, and I was asking for prayer because I, just, I felt what Martha felt in that moment. You see, there's moments even when leaders, senior pastor, pastor, elders, uh, deacons, life group leaders, where we can get off the mark because even though we are leaders, even though we are loved greatly, we can become so extremely busy, not just doing good things and right things and things that are required of a large church, but so much so that it feels like our innards are being pulled apart in different directions and it feels like we are capsized, unable to control our life. And Martha, from that place of discord is now irritated. And the inner turmoil in her life now comes out externally and focuses it on her sister. Take a look. Open those Bibles back up. It says there in Luke 10, we read it a moment ago, it says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. There's a moment where we, even if we're leaders of the church, even if we know we're loved by God, if we get so caught up in extremely busy things, here's what happens. We begin to have an emotional attachment to those things, and if people don't help us at the level we want them to help us at, we get irritated. They're not doing it the right way. They're not doing it how I would do it. I can't believe this. And that irritability comes out at our Christmas dinners. That irritability comes out in line at the grocery store. That irritability comes out on the 405. That irritability comes out when we're signing Christmas cards. I can't believe it. Ah! And it just comes out. And this inner turmoil is flowing out of her life. And it begins to be directed at her sister. And the amazing thing is that she goes to Jesus and she tells Jesus... Tell her to help me. And what's so remarkable is this. Open those Bibles back up. 
And this is the real kicker. This is the heart of all hearts. The brokenness that has seeped into Martha's life that can seep into my life, that perhaps can seep in your life. In verse 40, where it says, Lord, do you not care? Let's just pause right there. Lord, do you not care? In that moment, Martha, as a result of all the anxiety and the worry and the busyness of her things, her tasks, her things that she wants to accomplish, she now becomes suspicious of God. Lord, do you not care? And there's this little subtle thing that can happen especially among leaders in the church, that we get so focused on what we're doing for God that we start to get suspicious when God doesn't respond the way we want God to respond. We begin to get suspicious of God when God doesn't answer our prayers in the timing or the way God wants us to to do things. We, We get suspicious of God in this moment. At the heart of all hearts, Martha has veered off course. You see, there's many examples in Scripture where Jesus asks the disciples to do great things, and He gives details. This is not just a sermon about sit and do nothing. But in her doing, she had stopped following Jesus, and she had elevated herself to being the Lord of her life, and she was saying, Jesus, why aren't you blessing me, and why aren't you making my sister do the things that I want to do, because this isn't just for your glory, it's for mine. And it's so tempting, especially for leaders in the church, and many of us are leaders, and many of you are leaders in this community and in the city and in your workplaces and in your schools. It's tempting to begin to have the doing for God be more important than simply the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, Martha, she is a leader. She's loved greatly, but she became so extremely busy that she veered so far off course, and that is in contrast with Mary. Take a look. Open those Bibles back up. In chapter 10, it says in verse 39, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Now, before we move on from that, you've got to understand that, uh, especially in the first century, whenever you would sit at someone's feet… You are physically communicating to them that they have authority in your life. So her posture, her body language is communicating that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is Master. You know, she's taking the posture of a disciple. You've got to understand that in the first century, women were never disciples of a rabbi. It was only men. So for Jesus to allow this posture says something very different about how God views both men and women in leadership. So the three things I want to talk about, Mary, are this, that she's a leader. Two, she's loved greatly. And three, she's extremely present. One word difference between Martha and Mary. But she was a different kind of leader. 
She wasn't just the head of a household. She wasn't somebody who was just doing great things, asking others to help. She was a leader by being a follower first. In fact, if you want to lead well, if you want to lead with excellence, you've got to first be a follower, a follower of Jesus. In fact, she was saying, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm not. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest leaders of the first century church, says, follow me as I first follow Jesus. You see, she led by following. And in this season of busyness, we can actually abide with Christ and, and be present with others in a very different sort of way, even as leaders, by following the lead of Jesus. See, because Jesus is alive. He's not just somebody who was stuck in uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. In fact, Scripture says that He is at the right hand of the Father right now in this moment. In fact, as we open up God's Word, which is alive, which speaks truth into our life, we actually can sit at the feet of Jesus and allow God's Word to have authority in our life. And we as a church believe that we're going to live better and we're going to love better. We're actually going to make the type of impact that God longs for us to have not when we have authority over Scripture and say, I like that, oh, I don't like that, but rather when we let Scripture speak truth in our life, it's saying, oh, I like that, no, I, I don't like that. You see, we'll never understand Scripture unless we stand under it to allow it to have authority in our life. In the same way, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you, your life will be absolutely turned upside down, transformed for the better. The things that you long for, the peace that you want to have, the significance that you, you know you should have, it's going to come as you sit at the feet of Jesus, open up God's Word, and more than just five minutes a day, the more we saturate our life in the truth and love of God's Word, the more we're going to be like Mary, the more we'll abide with Christ the more new things and treasure will pop up out of Scripture and overwhelm us with joy. You see, she was also loved greatly. The fact that she was allowed to be at the feet of Jesus, but there's many other scenes that we see about Mary from Bethany that we know deeply that Jesus loved her greatly. In fact, I believe that the love that He had for Martha was the same love that He had for Mary. It was a love that wasn't dependent upon her doing things for Jesus. You've got to understand that. I want to be absolutely crystal clear that God, I believe, did not love Mary more than Martha because if He loved Mary more than Martha, then His love was dependent upon their works, their perspective, their approach. And then all of a sudden we get in this works-based view that if we do more for Jesus or we do it in the right way, God will love us more. But the absolute fact is that you are loved in Christ. Regardless of what you do or don't do, no matter how busy you get doing your own things or not, you see there's a love that God has for you in Christ and you've got to know that this day. But here's what's absolutely remarkable. You get to the very end. What's different about Mary is that she is extremely present. And in fact, there's this language that Jesus uses. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And before that, Jesus says there is need of only one thing. What do you need? 
in your heart of hearts, what do, you, what do you need? We live in such a complicated world. You walk into a grocery store, checkout line, you are bombarded with things that you need. You turn on the television, you are bombarded with things that you need. You see somebody else open up a present that somebody else gave, and all of a sudden, you are bombarded with, I need that. I don't know what it is, but I need it. Sadly, you can walk into a church community, and in this world of comparison, which always takes, you can begin to think, oh, I, I, I need that. I, I, I need that. You see, Martha had gone down this path of needing all these things, and she had become so emotionally attached to those things that her world began to fall apart when they weren't happening. And yet Mary was so present at the feet of Jesus. She shows me. And I'm sure she shows you the one thing that we really only need, a heart captivated by our Creator, a mind filled by the loving attention of our God. our very being, being present with the most important thing in the cosmos. And what's so utterly remarkable is that Mary, who seems to be more present with Jesus than any other disciple, gets something that all the other disciples missed. In fact, Jesus was continuing to say, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to die. I'm headed to death. That's part of God's plan. It's part of God's will. And all the other disciples missed it. They were so focused on all these other things that they missed it. But Mary got it. How do we know she got it? Well, show of hands, how many of you were with us last week? Heard the sermon last week. Now, I'm going to say something. Uh, I tried to play a trick on you. Out of love. There were five times that I said in the sermon last week, an unnamed woman broke open an alabaster jar and poured expensive perfume. Remember that sermon? Five different times I said an unnamed woman. And she was unnamed at that point in the story, but I listened and I waited and I read the room because I wanted to see if you could catch who the woman was. And I waited all week. I got some emails this week about other things, but I didn't get the email that I thought I would get. And I waited and I waited and it didn't happen. And I thought, oh, the church is just like me. Sometimes we get so distracted, so busy, so quick on to the next thing that we miss 
these little moments, these little connections that God is trying to get through the busyness and the fray of our life because the unnamed woman who breaks open the alabaster jar, who pours out a year's worth of wages, who anoints Jesus' head for burial, in which last week Jesus, as I said last week, whenever the gospel is shared, she will be mentioned. As I said last week, that she is synonymous with the gospel. That woman was the only person who got it because it was Mary from Bethany who was extremely present with Jesus. She was the only one who got it, who knew that Jesus, out of love, was going to go to the cross to set us free, to die so we might live. And Martha was so busy with those things, she missed it. The disciples were so busy, they were on their way. They didn't even come into Martha's house. And Mary got it. Why? Because she was just extremely present with Jesus. Wherever the gospel is shared, Scripture says, let's talk about Mary from Bethany, who, yes, was a great leader because she followed so well, who, yes, was loved greatly because Christ loves us, not on her own works or not, but most importantly, who is simply extremely present, who abided, who was present with Christ, whose mind, whose heart was in the same room as her feet. Who was there? And what's so remarkable that as we practice this abiding with Christ, as we spend time opening up God's Word and, and not just getting through Scripture, but letting Scripture get through us, you'll begin to notice all these things that pop out that you've never seen before. That's the richness of Scripture, that the more that you read it, the more that you submit your life to it, the more you immerse yourselves in it, all of a sudden, oh, I never saw that before. Why, is that, is that really true? I, wow. And as you do that, it will spill out into your relationship with others. Martha was filled with irritability for Mary. And yet we never saw Mary get irritable back at Martha. Out of the overflow of that presentness with Christ, she was able to be present with one another. Now, before I close in prayer, I know it's complicated. We're in a 21st century. Uh, three quick things that I want you to do in the next 48 hours when you're present with other people. And even as you go into the, uh, the brunch today, uh, three things really important maybe to help you present with one another. First of this is uh, put your phone away. Okay, that's number one. Put your phone away. Now, I'm telling you, the youth, I think, are the best at this because I'm actually seeing the youth actually when they go out to lunch and when they're with one another. Have you seen this? Where they stack their phones upside down in the middle of the table. I've never seen an adult do that. They're like underneath the table, you know, checking, <laughs> checking the stocks. You didn't want to do that this week, by the way. Oh, right? Oh, gosh. You know, we get pulled in these things that Christ says, look, I'm telling you, I'm your security. I'm your foundation. Things will go up and down, but, but hold on to me, trust in me, rely on me. But, but the, the, I, I see them, and they put their phones upside down, and it's like this game. You know, they're vibrating, they're buzzing, but no one will touch it. No one wants to be the first one. It's like this game. It's absolutely amazing. So first, uh, put your phone away. Number two, put your phone away again, because some of you, in between step one and two, you pulled your phone back out. Put it back away. Okay? Put it back away. Ready? Step three. Turn off your phone and put it in the other room. 
Because in between step two and three, you pulled it out again. I saw you do it because it's what I do. I'm telling you, these little things that pull us, I don't know, technology just seems to make things more complicated, but we, we're no different than Martha and Mary. I think we've got a little bit of both of us in our life. Jesus loved both of them. He saw both of them as leaders, and yet he says, ah, oh, but Mary has chosen the better part. Don't take that away from her. Let's practice this as a church this Christmas season. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the moment. Help me to put my phone away. When I'm with my church, when I'm with my friends, when I'm with my family. But God, may even more than that, more importantly than that, would you help me in this new year see this deep need that only you can fill? Jesus, remind me and remind us that that when it comes to comfort, you're what we need. When it comes to security, you're what we need. When it comes to purpose, God, you're what we need. So because you love us so much, would we turn back to you this day, present with you, present with others, knowing that you meet us in our midst wherever two or more gather in your name, Jesus. We thank you that you're here. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen. Amen.